Well, good morning. It's really good to be here um, with you, uh, who I do consider family, and uh, love to come at times of trouble, but also pretty fun to come at times of normal, um, and some of the best times too, and I look forward to more of those with you in the days ahead. Um, as Brent said, my name is Brian Ferron. I serve as district superintendent for EFCA's North Central District, which is free churches here in Minnesota. I'm here with my wife, Terry. She has the joy of getting to come along with me on, on things like this and shares uh, my love, our love for churches and church leaders. Uh, today, I'm going to do two things. Uh, one of them will be mercifully short. I'm just going to spend a little time talking about your EFCA family, those sister churches that you're a part of here in Minnesota, just to give you a little picture of who they are, where they're at, and uh, how you're on mission together. But the bulk of our time together today will be spent in Hebrews 11, in a passage that I have to tell you, I think addresses our current situation and can give us much needed perspective in a way that few passages in the New Testament can. So even now, as you listen about the district, I want to encourage you to prepare your heart to, to gain perspective from God's word on a season like the one we're in. A few things I want to share, and a slide's going to come up to kind of facilitate that. Uh, first is just give you a little picture of the free church. Here in Minnesota, you have about 160 congregations, sister congregations, scattered all around the state, from places like Grand Marais and Duluth, to places like your area here, to places like Fergus Falls and Thief River Falls, to down in southwestern Minnesota, and places like Marshall and Wyndham in the Rochester area, and then obviously uh, many in the metro area as well. Um, about 160 in total, a uh, little more than that. Uh, the Free Church, the Evangelical Free Church of America, is about 1,500 congregations scattered all across the nation, uh, congregations that share your passion for the gospel and for the scriptures, that share your desire to reach the lost and shepherd the found. And then as we think about our worldwide mission, there are about 650 missionaries sent out by the EFCA as part of Reach Global that are scattered around the globe. And it's helpful just to get a sense of the family that you're a part of. That's a little bit of our size. Another thing that I think is helpful is to see kind of our family picture. And in the next slide, you're going to see that. Um, that, that picture that is behind me is kind of where our free churches are scattered around Minnesota. And I usually, at a time like this, I want to say three things when I come and visit a congregation like yours. On the one hand, uh, you're part of this family that's really a family of churches on mission together. Um, the second thing I want to say, and I, I mean it genuinely uh, from my heart, uh, it is the mission of my life and together with the team that I get to lead alongside to serve pastors and church leaders and churches. We are passionate about that. Without your partnership, it just wouldn't be possible. So we are so grateful that you allow us to come alongside you in ministry at the difficult times and the wonderful times and the normal, ordinary, well, normal, wrong word for today, right? Forgive me, um, the ordinary times that we go through. Uh, and then, uh, so, I, so thank you, a genuine thank you. And then just to say a little bit about what we do, um, I have a hard job to describe. When I was a local church pastor, it was pretty easy to describe what I did, um, and people sort of understood it. Now, as a district superintendent, I often find the challenge of describing what I do. And the shorthand for it is really uh, myself and the team I lead alongside. We pastor pastors. Uh, we care for church leaders. We serve churches. That's, that's really all we do. Um, I was surprised when I got into this work about uh, eight years ago in the Southwest. I was a regional leader in the Southwest before coming here to Minnesota. Um, I was surprised when I started how, how similar it was to the ordinary work I did as a local church pastor. Um, 
Now, most of my work is with church leaders and pastors, but it's the same basic work of uh, shepherding, of loving, of challenging, of encouraging, of bearing burdens, of celebrating joys, of moving forward together on mission for Jesus. And that's pretty much what we do. A final picture I want to show you, um, it's really the best thing about our district, is the people uh, that are assembled to serve. As I said, I lead alongside a team of 10 uh, who are pouring their lives into churches. And the North Central District here in Minnesota, the EFCA here in Minnesota, were well-established. We have resources, we have uh, history, we have all kinds of uh, special things we can offer, but the people that serve on this team uh, hear this, they're the best thing we have uh, to offer you. And many of your leaders know that by experience. Um, They've experienced the goodness of having a person on this team at the right time for the right reasons, come alongside like a brother or a sister in much needed help. And so we're here to serve and that's our family. Um, Now what I want to do is we're going to pivot to uh, the main reason uh, that you've allowed me to share today is the chance to open God's word. And before we do that, I want to ask you if you'll just take a moment with me and bow your heads and still your hearts and pray with me that God would speak to us today uh, for the purpose of refreshing and encouraging from his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can be here together. Thank you, God, that you gave us a day, this day. Uh, We acknowledge, God, that this room is filled with people who came here this morning from all kinds of places. Some of us, God, are coming off of high weeks and good seasons. Others, Lord, are in the midst of personal difficulties. And all of us, God, are in the midst of, of one of the hardest cultural seasons we've ever experienced. Father, I pray that you would help us to have ears that can hear your word today. I pray you would pry our hearts open, that you would give us a sensitivity to what you want us to say. I pray, God, that you would guard my words, that I would say true things, and I would honor you with what I say. And and together, Lord, I pray we would hear together your word in a way that shapes us and fills us and gives us hope. Um, Help us, God, we pray in these moments to pay attention to what you have said in a way that forms our souls. We pray these things because of the cross in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a question. Uh, I think it's a tough question to really ponder, but I want to invite you to consider it this morning as a beginning to our time in God's Word. And the question is this. Thinking back, how many of your plans, your dreams, your goals, your comforts, your essentials, your priorities, your expectations, or your relationships have been derailed in the last six months. Let me ask it again. In the last six months, how many of your plans or dreams or goals or comforts or essentials or priorities or expectations or relationships have taken a body blow in the last six months? Think back with me, if you will. Did you have plans that you had to cancel? Uh, Maybe there were weddings or graduations. Uh, Maybe you experienced the loss of a loved one and you had to navigate a funeral in this terrible last six months. For those that did, that was heartbreaking. I saw that firsthand. Maybe you had celebrations or milestones that were coming. Think, too, about the tragedies that we face, both with the coronavirus and then the tragedies that happened on May 25th in the Twin Cities and the unrest that followed. You know, I've, I've uh, 
I've never seen a city quite like Minneapolis at a moment quite like those days and weeks after May 5th. In fact, let me tell you the story, how my story went. You know, Terry and I, we moved our family here uh, almost a little, little over three years ago. Uh, we were living on the central coast of California. I was serving in regional leadership and still part of a church I'd been a part of for a really long time. And, uh, and God called us out here, and we could pick really anywhere we wanted to live. You know, you're getting ready to help uh, your interim find a place to live. But when you're district superintendent, they just sort of say, if you could land in the state, that would be great. And they really open it up. And I didn't know much about Minnesota, but we together kind of found a place. We moved to Cottage Grove. But our office, the office where I serve, is right in downtown Minneapolis. We, we co-share uh, a property, Hope Community Church, right next to Hennepin County Medical Center, right across from the Viking Stadium, right in the heart of downtown. Um, now, when the coronavirus started, right, everybody kind of stopped going into places like that. So I hadn't been there a lot, and we were just getting ready to come out of it. And then the tragic events happened in late May, and the civil unrest kind of exploded. And there were a couple weeks where I hadn't been into the office, not even that long, to be honest. It was about four or five days. Um, and then I remember, I'll never forget, my first journey downtown. Uh, I was having a meeting. Actually, honestly, I think it's with one of your missionaries. Her, her name is Katrina, and she's with Reach Global Crisis Response, and they had come in, and we were kind of helping our churches connect with crisis response because it turns out they know a little bit about these things. And uh, I decided instead of staying on the freeway that I would drive the city streets because I wanted to see. I did. And I remember hopping off the freeway in St. Paul and going up to university and driving all the way down university, and it was heartbreaking. It was boards and destruction, and uh, most jarring of all, no people. I'd never seen that street like that ever. Then I got into downtown, and I decided I wanted to drive a little bit south uh, toward the place where George Floyd had died, and I wanted to see what it looked like. And uh, there were places that were near and dear to my heart that just, just weren't there anymore. Uh, there's, uh, some of you know the Midtown Global Market. It's a great place to eat if you're downtown. Um, there's a building out in front that just had been burned to the ground. The hardest thing for me to see that day, and really has become like a little beacon for me, a little reminder of the season we're in, was driving uh, past the children's hospital uh, just south of our office, a big, big children's hospital. And uh, every window for about 20 feet up was boarded up, and, but it was still operating. So there were children inside uh, that place, and it just pierced my heart. Now, I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but I know these last six months, my assumption, have a whole lot of that. Now, it's in moments like this that I think you and I need desperately perspective on what we're experiencing. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage in the Bible, Hebrews 11, that, in my view, gives us much-needed perspective on a situation like ours and a time like this. And so what we're going to do is really, moving forward, we're going to do just two things. We're going to walk carefully through all of Hebrews 11, really trying to see what this passage would say about our situation by comparison uh, to people in different times and different places that have gone through difficult things. That's the first thing we're going to do. It's going to take a little while. We're going to do it carefully. Uh, the second thing we're going to do is we're going to try to draw some conclusions for our day from this passage. So to begin, if you want to look down at your Bibles, we're going to begin by remembering Abel and Enoch and Noah 
from Hebrews 11, 1 through 7. I'm going to read it for you. I want to encourage you to read along. And can I invite you to do two things while I read? Um, On the one hand, I want to invite you to listen with your heart. Listen with your heart. This book is not like other books, and these words are not like other words. And they are meant to fill and pierce and change and shape. And so can I encourage you to do what is sometimes hard for me and listen with your heart? The second thing I'm going to encourage you to do is something you're really not supposed to do a ton of, but I'm going to encourage you to compare. Compare. This morning, I want to invite you and encourage you to compare what you've experienced and what we've experienced to what they experienced so that we can get some perspective, so we can see them up next to each other. And we're going to do that bit by bit, reading through this whole thing. And we're going to begin, as I said, with Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Look down at your Bibles as I read Hebrews 11, uh, 1 through 7. I'm reading from the ESV. It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So let's think about these three people. Try to put yourself in the place of Abel, way back in the beginning of Genesis. Abel and his brother Cain offered sacrifices to God. We're not told why, but Abel's was pleasing to God and Cain's was not. And this creates a kind of furious jealousy in their relationship. And we know Cain kills Abel and then tries to hide it from God. And the Bible tells us here, as as an introductory, it gives Abel as an example by which we can sort of imagine what our lives are in comparison. Or think think about Enoch. There's not a lot said about Enoch in this passage. But, but we know from Genesis 1 to 11, the world was racing downhill fast. It was becoming increasingly wicked. And Enoch stands out in this generation so much so that through his faith, he is taken up without dying, this passage says here. He lived a different kind of life. But imagine the kind of, the kind of world where Enoch would be such a singular figure and taken up in this unique way and his trust of God be counted as righteousness to him. Imagine the kind of world in which he lived. In fact, it's not hard to imagine as we think about Noah's story next. Do you remember Noah's story? Uh, The world had gotten so bad. Do you ever feel like our world is as bad as it could get? It's not. It's not. The world had gotten so bad in Noah's day that God had decided to bring a cataclysmic flood and wipe it out, and he told this to Noah. Noah built an ark, and he gathered the creatures, and he put his family in it, and they endured that difficult, crazy, heartbreaking season. Imagine what it would have been like to him. 
And then imagine, imagine this. Imagine that uh, thousands of years later, uh, your life is remembered as the condemnation and rescue. It represents these two things. These two things. Hebrews 11 goes on. It presents these three, but then it goes on to invite us to think back to Abraham and Sarah and their children. I want to invite you to look down at your Bible. This is a little longer section. So as I'm reading, try to picture in your mind what it would have been like to be these people and go through these things. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac evoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So picture what it would have been like for Abraham and Sarah. They were called to leave their homeland and together with a great company of people, march across the desert. You know, my wife Terry and I moved more than 2,000 miles to get here. It took us about a day, right? Not so for Abraham and Sarah. That was one amazingly challenging, difficult journey. And then as they get here, they go through all kinds of ups and downs in the midst of this, in their old age, not as grandparents inheriting a child, but as grandparent age people having a child, they're told they're going to have a child of promise. And Sarah receives the power to do this. Imagine that the Bible had the audacity to call you almost dead, right? And that's your legacy. Or think about the stories that go on for Abraham and Sarah and their children. And the details aren't given here, but Isaac and the ups and downs and the wrestling with God. And Jacob and Joseph and the exile in Egypt. All these things, right? What an experience that would have been. What an experience that would have been. Think about it. Think about it in comparison to these last six months. Or we can consider Moses and his many difficulties. Look back down at your Bibles. Let me read 
about Moses for you. It's a little shorter. It says this in verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Think back to Moses' story. Born at a time when babies like him were being put to death by an edict from the king, his parents hid him for a time. And then in a strange story, put him in a basket and floated him away. And through that, he was adopted into the house of Pharaoh. And then as he grew, he had the option. Imagine you're in a country of wealth. Not hard to imagine, you are. And you were given the opportunity to have the highest form of it. And you had the courage to turn away from it because you decided the people of God and God himself were more important and better. That's what Moses did. Imagine you live through a season, not mentioned here in our passage, where you stand up to that government and you see God through plague after plague pry his people free. But that freedom is a leaving of home, what had become home, and a wandering into the wilderness. Imagine it's punctuated by the Red Sea parting, and you walk across it, and you're in terrible danger. You're being sued by people more powerful than you. And then imagine the sea swallows them up. And on the one hand, you're grateful, but you've been rescued in a terrible moment. What would that have been like? The passage goes on to mention just a few more things. Um, In this case, it mentions uh, Rahab and Jericho. And I just want to read that for you briefly. Uh, Read their story. And then one more piece. It says this in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish, but those who were disobedient, but with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Do you remember this story? Those wandering people who had crossed the sea had been wandering and wandering, and they enter the promised land to discover there are people, there are enemies there. And in one of those places, Jericho, they had spied it out. And if you remember, Rahab, had, she'd welcomed the spies and given, given help to God's people. And then they come to this battle where they walk around Jericho and they walk around Jericho and they walk around Jericho. It wouldn't be the last battle they face. And the walls come crashing down and they see God's power in the midst of this terrible season of wandering and entering a land where they're opposed. It's, filled, it's just filled with war. That was their story. And then our passage concludes with kind of just a, just a, a shower, a wave of others. Listen with your heart as I read about this wave of others and what they experienced. Compare, compare it. Compare it. Let me read it for you. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, 
put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Then hear this. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Verse 39, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So think, think with me just for a second of the many others who faced hardship and adversity. So many, so much adversity, so much hardship. We know their names, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. Think of their troubles. I, find, I, I read that list of troubles and I want to cover my mouth. It's so hard to see. Think of the places they were. Think of what they faced. It is fitting, I think, it's super fitting that uh, this little phrase sticks out to describe these people, men and women of whom the world was simply not worthy for what they went through. Take a look at that picture that's back there. See it. See it. What I want to do now with the remainder of our time is think about how Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jericho, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, all of them and all their stuff, I want to ask the question, what does seeing this, experiencing it, how can it help us see our times today? And the question is really this, what can Hebrews 11 teach us about faithful living in the days ahead? What can that picture teach us about our day today? And there's three things I want to share in conclusion in just a few minutes here at the end to help us think through what Hebrews 11 can teach us. The first is this. Hebrews 11, this great cloud of witnesses, as 12.1 says, Hebrews 11 reminds us that we are not the first to face difficulty, discouragement, or disruption, even though it sometimes feels that way. How many times have you thought in the last six months, no one has ever gone through anything like this? How many times have you thought unprecedented? How many times have you said you couldn't understand how many times have you, you found yourself in the midst of this season and thought, this is the hardest season anyone could face, right? Am I the only one who's had those thoughts? Um, how many times have you thought, no more, uncle, enough, I give, make it stop? At moments like this, it is tempting to think we are the first to face such difficult times. Now, there's a ring of truth in that, but can I just remind you, in light of the chapter that we have just read, that we are by no means and in no way the first to face tough times. God's people, time and again, throughout history, have faced adversity forever and always. It is uh, one of the dangers of being an American is you can start to think adversity is not normal. Not true for people of faith. Search the scriptures. Adversity is the name of the game. One of the aha moments of my life was discovering that suffering in the New Testament was not unexpected, and it actually had a function. It actually did something. It does something. 
So brothers and sisters, here at the beginning, can I just remind you, can I encourage you, can I plead with you, in light of that great cloud of witnesses that we're surrounded about, can you remember we're not the first to go through times like this? We are just not the first. The second thing I want to share is like this one, but it extends it. Not only are we not the first, but likewise, when things fall apart, we must remember that we're not alone. Rather, we are surrounded, past and present, by people who put their hope in God. Um, not only are we not the first, but we are not alone in this moment. Uh, one of the things I like least about this season that we're in is uh, what feels like the distance it creates in almost every way. Um, uh, masks make you feel separate from people. At least they do for me. Um, we're supposed to stand six feet apart. People weren't designed to live six feet apart, right? Right? Uh, a story that really highlights this for me, uh, Terry and I took our kids and we were going to one of those weddings that was supposed to be an amazing event and was, was turning into a backyard affair, right? Those are pretty common during the coronavirus. And it was in San Diego County and we decided we would fly to Phoenix, Arizona where I grew up, where my family still lives and we would see my mom and my dad and my sister and my nephew. So we flew into Phoenix, this is the summer, you're not supposed to fly to Phoenix in the summer. Minnesotans know that, right? It's like traveling to Minnesota in February, like why, who would? You know, and so it's mid-July, I'm breaking what I thought was a long-established wisdom rule in my life. I'm flying to Phoenix. We land, we get our rental car, we drive and see my family. Now, my father has COPD, has a breathing uh, issue, and so coronavirus is dangerous for him. And I had this strange experience. Um, it was a lonely experience to travel to Arizona thousands of miles, to go through all the work to be in a room with my mom and dad and sister, um, and not hug them. Right? Isn't that what this season is about? Uh, moments like that are, have been multiplied for the last six months. And uh, the evil one would have us believe that we're separated, uh, that we're distant, um, that there's nobody in your corner, uh, that your future is a more aloneness, less togetherness, uh, no hugs. Right? Can I just tell you, look at Hebrews 11. It, Hebrews 12, 1 says, says this about Hebrews 11. It says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, so far from the truth, uh, anyone who's put their hope in Jesus Christ, you are permanently the other thing. Instead of being alone, you are never possibly alone because when you put your hope in Jesus Christ, you become part of God's family and you are forever, always, permanently surrounded. You are surrounded. You have people around you. One of the great joys of the Christian life, one of the great truths of the cross and the resurrection, not only are you rescued from hell, you are, but more than that, you're rescued into a people, into a people. And can I tell you, it is laughable to think that six feet and masks could separate what Jesus through the cross put together. So brothers and sisters, as you think about how you're gonna move forward in the months ahead, there'll be a lot of things in there you want, want to make you feel isolated or allow you to pretend you're alone or even allow you to start drifting in that direction. But just can't I tell you that far from being alone, you are surrounded 
you are together with God's people. And the cross is so powerful and the resurrection such a guarantee that you could not undo that if you wanted to. Um, and these masks, uh, one, one person in writing about another passage translated it this way uh, that talks about these same things. He, he said they're small potatoes. They really are. But you know when they're small potatoes? Only one time. When they are compared with the life-changing, uh, eternity-fixing, community-building gospel of Jesus Christ. That's true. You are not alone. Third thing I want to mention, and it's the final thing I think we could see, and honestly, if, if you preach a passage on, or preach on Hebrews 11 and don't mention this, you're, you're committing preaching sins. Uh, the third thing is this. Um, more than anything else, living by faith, living by faith is essential at times like this. Over and again, this is the message of Hebrews 11. As you think about moving forward, it is crucial that you believe you're not the first to face tough times. It is essential that you remember you're not alone, but you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. But can I just remind you, over and again, didn't you hear it? By faith, by faith, by faith. If you're wondering how you move forward, it's not a mystery. Trusting God, putting your hope in Him, walking forward in faith, doing that flows out of believing, that is what we are about in the days ahead. And can I just, uh, by way of defining it a little bit, though that's not the point of Hebrews 11, can I take you on a little tour back through the chapter to just remind you what faith looks like in Hebrews 11. In verse 1, we are reminded that faith means trusting God. Living by faith means trusting God when we cannot see the outcome. When we cannot see the outcome. I remember um, early in the coronavirus, I made a lot of predictions about how long it would last. So wrong, so wrong, right? I kept thinking, surely by X, definitely by Y, absolutely by Z, I have no clue. The outcome for me, as I look forward, I have no idea when this is gonna end, what's gonna change, um, what the election is gonna do to us as a nation, I don't know. I don't know, but I know this, that. Living by faith means I trust God even when I can't see the outcome. It also means, if we think about verse 6, it means drawing near to God during adversity, disappointment, and difficulty. Um, this time right now, far from a chance, uh, an opportunity for your faith to shrink or, or dwindle, the tough times are the times where you and I can grow. We can get up close to him. We can get up close to him. Think of, like, one of the hardest things about America is how it lulls people to sleep. Makes us think we don't need him. We sit next to our nice fireplace in our beautiful house with our uh, cup of coffee, and we got everything we need. Well, well, guess what? It doesn't work like that right now. This is a chance. It's a chance for me, and I think it's a chance for you to draw near to the God who comes next to us in adversity, who has addressed disappointment, who has made promises about the future that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, that is going to rescue us. This is the time to get close to him. That's what faith looks like. Also, can I remind you, it includes a bunch of things. It includes things like Noah's reverence in verse 7, Abraham's obedience in verse 8, Sarah's trust in verse 11, Moses' understanding of what really is rich and really is poor in 25 and 26th. It includes those kinds of things. Moreover, faith always, always in the scriptures looks forward in hope. It always looks forward in hope. It looks forward to, in verse 1, 
to things not seen. It looks forward in verse 6 and then later in the passage to a future reward. It looks forward to, in verse 10, a city built by God. It looks forward in verse 14 to a homeland. It looks forward, one of my favorite phrases in the whole New Testament is in Hebrews 11. It looks forward, you and I have been promised, this is true, it is real, a better country, a heavenly one. The wonder of, of Abraham's journey is the promised land he was going to is actually the heaven you and I and he will occupy together. And it's described in this passage as a better country, a heavenly country. We look forward to that. That's what faith is about. And then verse 40, you know what it's about? It's about something better in Christ. Something better in Christ that we with them will receive. And then finally, uh, living by faith includes, if we look into chapter 12 just a little bit, um, it includes, right in the beginning, it includes looking to Jesus. It includes looking in Jesus. After we're told that there's this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, we are encouraged that we should be looking to Jesus. And you know what else it includes? And this is one I'm, I'm not super excited about, but I need to do it. It includes not growing weary. It includes not giving up. It includes endurance. It includes what Hebrews 12 calls uh, raising up your hands, your weak hands, strengthening your shaking knees, walking with Jesus in this season. Now, one of the things I'm thankful for in a season like this is that people's ears, and by this I mean our whole world, they have a chance, the first chance in a long, long time to work. I'll never forget being in high school and realizing there was a Christ-centered, gospel-shaped void in my heart. And I was trying to fill it, and I was trying to fill it, and some people came alongside at a time when I was needy and, and aware of my need. And they told me about Jesus. They told me about his perfect life. I wanted some of that. They told me about his terrible death. I was afraid of having to go through that. They told me about his resurrection, how he had power over death. And they told me that anyone who believes in him could have life. And you know what? They caught me at a time when my ears worked. My ears worked. Can I submit to you? Like, if I could snap my fingers and change this moment, I would. I would, which is one of the many reasons I'm not God. God in his providence has given us this moment. And the Christian community, those who put their hope in Jesus Christ, we can remember we're surrounded and that we're not alone. We can walk by faith. We can also remember that a time like this is a unique time for people's ears to hear the gospel. Uh, there are people all around this community. People race up to this community every weekend, right? And they don't come to hear the gospel. They come to numb. They come to numb it, right? They come to fill the void a little bit. And hey, don't, there's nothing wrong with experiencing the good and beautiful things of God's creation. Full stop. But you know, part of what they're doing is trying to get rid of the ears. And can I just encourage you? Uh, it might seem like an interruption, uh, when they're about to get on the boat. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is never an eruption. And uh, by God's grace, somebody inserted it into my life when my ears worked. Changed my life. Changed my life. Now and forever. And we have, um, if we can get our eyes off the TV, 
and, and raise our vision upward a little bit, we have a great opportunity to be salt and light, um, to be life, not death, to be rescue to anyone who put, put their hope in Jesus. So brothers, can I encourage you today? Remember you're surrounded and talk about it. Talk about it because uh, your community needs it. Your church needs it. Um, and uh, to God's glory, he deserves to be known in this way.